0: Who has had a headache or known someone that has had a headache? Headaches have been described for thousands of years. There are descriptions of specific types of headaches, like migraines, dating back to poems from 3000 BC. The father of medicine himself, Hippocrates, described a severe pain affecting half the head and disrupting one's sight, similar to our modern description of migraine. Over millennia, there have been many other accounts that describe a similar phenomenon, In general, headaches are classified as either primary or secondary. Tension type headaches and migraines are two common primary headache types. Secondary headaches refer to headaches that are due to another medical condition. There are many causes of secondary headaches, and a number of those diagnoses can be life-threatening or extremely disabling. The conditions with a high mortality and morbidity must be ruled out when assessing your patient with a headache. An abbreviated list would include subarachnoid hemorrhage, cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, arterial dissection, giant cell arteritis, and meningitis. Today, we will focus on the common primary and dangerous secondary headaches that must be ruled out when your patient has a new onset headache. Today, five millennia since Hippocrates, our patient has a headache, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, Pain in the Brain, An Approach to Headache. Time for a minute physiology. The final pathway causing headaches is activation of pain receptors in structures that are in and around the face, neck, sinuses, teeth, skulls, or meninges. It is important to remember that the brain parenchyma itself does not have any pain fibers. The reason why these pain receptors are activated depends on the underlying cause. The pathophysiology underlying migraine is complex and involves environmental and genetic factors. Environmental triggers, like certain food, odors, or loud noises, plus a genetic predisposition for a hyperexcitable brain can initiate a migraine. Cortical spreading depression is an example of how migraines may be initiated. First, there is a sudden burst of neuronal activity that propagates through the cortex, causing a release of cations that affect the blood-brain barrier and stimulate meningeal receptors. Trigeminal neurons that release vasodilatory factors, like calcitonin gene-related peptide, CGRP, causing inflammation and pain. This can occur in the occipital lobe, causing classic visual aura, but can also occur in clinically silent areas as well. The cause of tension type headache is likely multifactorial, with environmental factors playing a significant role. Typical precipitants include stress and poor sleep. There is activation of myofascial trigger points that stimulate nociceptors and therefore cause pain. If this occurs for long enough, it can result in central sensitization and lead to chronic tension headache. These myofascial trigger points manifest as pericranial muscle tenderness. Now, we will shift to the secondary causes of headache. The pathophysiology follows similar principles outlined above, whereby receptors in structures in and around the head and neck are activated, causing the precipitation of pain. Subarachnoid hemorrhages present classically with a thunderclap headache, often with neck stiffness and the absence of fever. However, a large proportion may present with an initial, sentimental headache that is transient and mild. The blood irritates meningeal nociceptors, causing headache, and may produce signs of meningismus. In cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, headache is the most common symptom, but can present quite variably. If there is obstruction of the ventricular system, a patient may present with a headache syndrome consistent with increased intracranial pressure with nausea, vomiting, papilledema, and worsened headache when lying down the classic patient would be a young female smoker on an oral contraceptive with a severe postural headache worsening over days. Arterial dissections typically present with neck and head pain. This is due to the dissection flap activating nociceptor fibers surrounding the artery. Patients may also present with symptoms of stroke or TIA, Horner syndrome, and cranial neuropathies. Giant cell arteritis is a vasculitis causing inflammation and irritation of the temporal arteries, which, if untreated, may lead to vision loss. There may be significant scalp tenderness. Overall, headaches associated with GCA can be nonspecific and the diagnosis should be considered in any new headache in an older adult. Finally, any cause of meningitis will cause inflammation of the meninges and irritation of pain fibers causing headache. The differential diagnosis for headache is quite broad, and a number of these diagnoses can be life-threatening. It is essential to begin your assessment by obtaining your patient's vitals, their GCS, and stabilizing their ABCs. An NIHSS stroke assessment may be warranted in the setting of thunderclap headache or if there is a severe focal neurologic deficit. Once stable, you can move on to the remainder of your assessment. The initial objective in assessing a patient with headache is to determine whether or not they have a primary or secondary headache disorder. Therefore, a careful history and physical examination are key to direct your workup and management of this patient. Recall the mnemonic SNOOP to assess for red flags of secondary headaches. This stands for systemic symptoms and secondary risk factors, neurologic deficits, onset, older age, and pattern change. Systemic symptoms will shed light on a possible etiology. If there is a fever, meningitis may come up on your differential. Secondary risk factors include significant systemic disease, such as HIV or cancer, as these can increase the risk for opportunistic CNS infections. Neurologic deficits will help localize a lesion and may suggest a subarachnoid hemorrhage, cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, or arterial dissection. Onset of headache can be characteristic of certain conditions, such as thunderclap headache and subarachnoid hemorrhage. Older patients with a new or progressive headache is atypical and would place GCA higher on your differential. Finally, pattern change refers to the patient's past headache history and if there is a significant change from their baseline. If there is a change, then a novel process may be producing the current headache and would warrant a thorough workup. With regards to headache history, use high-yield questions that may point towards a primary headache. Features suggestive of migraine include presence of photo- and phonophobia, nausea and or vomiting, and aura. Location, quality of the headache pain, and effect on daily living are important to elicit. High intracranial pressure would be suspected if aggravating factors include worse pain when lying or with Valsalva. Past medical history and family history are also relevant, as comorbidities like hypertension are a risk factor for subarachnoid hemorrhage while migraines can run in families. Usage patterns of medications to treat headaches are important to ask about to rule out a medication overuse headache. There are also medications and recreational drugs that may cause secondary headache. Tryptans, SSRIs, or cocaine for example, can all cause vasospasms and trigger a headache. On physical exam, vital signs are the most important step, paying close attention to your patient's blood pressure and level of consciousness. From there, a neurologic exam is important to assess for focal neurological deficits. This should include a fundoscopic exam to assess for blurring of optic disc margins, which suggests increased intracranial pressure. It is also critical to assess for any signs of meningismus via Jolt extenuation or Kernig and Brzezinski signs. It is also worthwhile to perform a head and neck exam. Assess the scalp and sinuses for any lesions or pain to palpitation. The temporal arteries for any swelling, pain or pulsations and the eyes for any injection or lacrimation. We will break down the workup in order of urgency for testing based on certain clinical features. First, if there is a thunderclap headache, your patient will require an emergent non-contrast head CT. If there is evidence of a subarachnoid hemorrhage on the skin, you should consult neurosurgery. If there is no evidence of a bleed, a lumbar puncture should be completed, assessing for xanthochromia and or persistently elevated red blood cells in the CSF, which suggests subarachnoid hemorrhage. If the lumbar puncture is non-diagnostic, arterial and venous vessel imaging should be completed. This will characterize any possible aneurysm and identify an arterial dissection or venous sinus thrombosis, which would be on the differential for a thunderclap headache. If there is concern for meningitis, blood culture should be drawn, dexamethasone and empiric antibiotics should be started as soon as possible, and a lumbar puncture should be performed. It is always prudent to arrange for head imaging, for example with CT, to rule out a large mass lesion or increased ICP prior to performing an LP. Lumbar puncture findings suggestive of bacterial meningitis include a high elevated white cell count that is neutrophil predominant, an elevated protein, and a low glucose. In viral meningitis, the white count is generally lower. There is mildly elevated protein, and the glucose is normal. If there is low suspicion for subarachnoid hemorrhage or meningitis, consider other clinical features consider MRI or CT with contrast to assess for intracranial pathology if there is evidence of papilledema, focal neurological deficits, seizures, high blood pressure, nocturnal or morning headaches, or headaches worse with Valsalva. If these clinical features are absent or imaging is negative, but this is a new headache pattern, then consider GCA. An ESR and CRP may be helpful, and a temporal artery biopsy should be considered, but these should not delay steroid treatment. If there is no change to your patient's previous headache history, consider a primary headache. Migraine and tension-type headaches are clinical diagnoses that can be diagnosed after ruling out other possible causes. The diagnostic criteria for migraine can be remembered with the 5-4-3-2-1 rule five or more attacks lasting four hours to three days with two or more features of unilateral locations, pulsating type pain, moderate to severe intensity or activity aggravated and at least one of nausea and or vomiting or photophobia and phonophobia. Diagnostic criteria for tension type headache are at least 10 episodes lasting 30 minutes to 7 days with the absence of nausea and vomiting only one of photophobia or phonophobia, and with two or more of bilateral location, pressure or tight quality, mild to moderate intensity, or not activity aggravated. If there are unilateral autonomic features, like conjunctival injection or tearing, consider the rare diagnosis of primary trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia. We will start our discussion on treatment strategies for secondary causes of headache first. In subarachnoid hemorrhage, the internist's role is to acutely stabilize the patient. Systolic blood pressure should be maintained at less than 160, which can be achieved with IV antihypertensives like labetalol. Nimodipine is typically included as well to prevent cerebral vasospasm. There should be cardiac monitoring and tracking of ins and outs to avoid hypotension and hypoperfusion. One should stop or reverse any antithrombotic therapy. Definitive management of aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage will require neurosurgical intervention, typically with either clipping or coiling. For cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, treatment is anticoagulation with low molecular weight or unfractionated heparin with bridging to warfarin. Duration of therapy depends on cause, often a minimum of 3 months if provoked, and 6 months if unprovoked, though consultation with a neurologist should be warranted. In the setting of arterial dissection, a patient may present with TIA or stroke, and therefore your center's stroke protocol should be activated, where decisions regarding thrombolysis or thrombectomy will be made in the acute setting. The mainstay of treatment is antithrombotic therapy, which must be delayed by 24 hours if TPA is administered. Although anticoagulation with IV heparin has been used in the past, current accepted treatment is usually with dual antiplatelet therapy for three to six months. For giant cell arteritis, high dose steroids are the mainstay of treatment and should be started as soon as possible. Consider consulting rheumatology as well. As we talked about in our workup, treatment of meningitis requires acting quickly. These patients should be placed on droplet precautions. Dexamethasone is ideally started before antibiotics and meningitic doses of antibiotics are started rapidly. Antibiotics should not be delayed for lumbar puncture or CT scan. Ceftraxone and vancomycin should be started to cover for Neisseria meningitis and Streptococcus pneumoniae. One should consider adding ampicillin to cover for listeria and other gram-negative organisms if the patient is over 50, immunocompromised, or uses large amounts of alcohol. Acyclovir is also added early as it is not possible to to differentiate viral from bacterial meningitis on clinical exam. Therapy can be narrowed later based on the results from blood and CSF cultures. Make sure you take a listen to our previous podcast on meningitis for specifics about treatment and diagnosis. Now, let's talk about primary headache disorders. Migraine treatment can be acute or prophylactic. In the acute setting, treatment should be administered as soon as possible. If mild to moderate, you can treat with acetaminophen or NSAIDs. Metoclopramide can be helpful, especially if there is nausea. If moderate to severe, you can treat with tryptans, although they are contraindicated in those with ischemic heart disease or uncontrolled hypertension because of their vasoconstrictive effects. Another acute treatment option is magnesium sulfate, which has the added benefit of being safe in pregnancy. Prophylaxis should be considered if attacks are frequent and requiring a large amount of acute medications. Prophylactic treatment of migraine will not be a top priority on the ward, but one can consider using beta blockers, tricyclic antidepressants, antiepileptics, or calcium channel blockers for outpatient management. Finally, treating tension-type headaches is typically quite straightforward, usually only requiring over-the-counter analgesia. Acetaminophen, ibuprofen, aspirin, or naproxen are all reasonable options to start with like migraine, treating earlier may be more beneficial. Overall, it is an exciting time to treat headache and specifically migraine. Monoclonal antibodies against calcitonin gene-related peptide have been an effective alternative prophylactic agent in those with migraines, with four different drugs available in the US. Three of the four CGRP antagonists are now available in Canada, meaning that the treatment toolbox for migraine continues to expand. Unlike in 3000 BC, burrholes holes are never indicated for treating primary headache. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Pain in the Brain, An Approach to Headache. This episode was written by Dr. Steven Sonson. Neurology Resident and reviewed by Dr. Bryce Dureforth neurologist, and Dr. Stephen Montague, General Internal Medicine. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai, developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karanopoulos. This podcast was produced and recorded by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman Zavantha Mohan. We love reading all your emails with feedback about the series, but please consider also rating and reviewing us on your preferred podcast platform so that we can share our episodes with even more trainees. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.